Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, March 19th, 2023. And I'm joined today by, by two individuals, one of whom claims that Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, and Orange Cassidy are better draws than Roman Reigns and, uh, and, and returning this week. That, that, that is Chris Gullo, obviously. Um, and, and returning this week. Uh, from from his private meeting with Vince McMahon, perhaps Jesse Collins. Hello. Yeah, I mean it wasn't just Vince, but you, so I wouldn't really call it a private meeting. I see. You know, well, who else, who else was, was there? there? Uh, Nick, Nick, uh, Muhammad bin Salman was he there? Yeah, um, Ma- Manjit Singh was there. Man- um, Manjit Singh, the the former independent yeah. director of WWE. Yep, he was there. Barrios was there, of course. Barrios had to like sit outside, but he was there. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> all right. I was at a, a ESW show last night, and so was Chris Gullo. I, I, I was just there as a spectator. I was not working in any capacity, not in an official capacity or unofficial capacity. Um, I, saw, I saw about the second half of the show. But it was good to, to hang out and, and socialize and stuff. Um, was it a good show? Yeah, it was a fun night. Uh, had a lot of talent, GCW talent around the show, and there was a lot of GCW personnel just hanging out at the show, too. Was this a GCW house show? Is, is Empire State Wrestling now a GCW affiliate? GCW house rules? No. I mean, it was just a, just a friendly uh, friendly gathering, you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, well, I guess we'll begin. We've got a lot of uh, live events talk. On this episode this week, we'll be heavily relying on WrestleTix data here today um, because, uh, and, and by the way, if you can like and subscribe and share this, that'll help us out a lot. And if, if you have a question or comment of your own, a super chat uh, will be accepted if you're watching live on YouTube and you want to submit your comment or your question, we will address it. Um, but the AEW house rules... I have to be careful with what I say here because I have, I have Tony Khan uh, correcting me in my head here, not literally. But um, I, w- I would say this is the first AEW house show, but I know that's not technically true. There was that that Jacksonville show that they ran a couple of years ago, which had a, also had a what, – what, what, how is that branded? That had the word house in it. Uh, I forget what it the was. The house always wins. Wasn't it the-, the house always yeah. wins. That's right. Another casino reference. Uh, but this was House Rules last night in Troy, Ohio. WrestleTix has the number at thirty at 3,200 tickets distributed, um, which is reportedly close to a sellout. Um, there's a lot of general admission. There's general admission, apparently, for this. So the, not everything was a designated seat, uh, but the G- GA was $20. Um, we could think through like how much money this, this show made. So let's. We've, I'm sure we've got a lower ticket price here than usual. Pay per views will go up to I, I think as high as you know ninety or hundred dollars in terms of an average ticket price. Um, but if we did, just did the math here and say I don't know, say say there's an average ticket price of like thirty five dollars, and let's assume to be aggressive that all three thousand two hundred were paid, then we've got you know one hundred and twelve thousand dollars for a live gate. Um, and if we add in like say eleven dollars per capita for venue merch, then we can get to almost $150,000 for a gross for this event. Um, I think there's a lot of questions around whether this house shows can be done profitably. 
and to what extent it's, it's, it's worth it to do house shows. There was a tremendous amount of concern about AEW doing a house show and, oh my God, what if, this, what if they don't make money off this house show, Brandon? What, what, what a bad decision this is going to be if, if AEW, you know, runs a little bit in the red on this house show. And I don't know, like, I was I was listening to like some of like the the people talking before the show about oh what's the lineup are they going to have title matches but WWE does house shows people know that they don't matter but that's okay because they've accepted that and AEW will the fans reject it because they feel like the results don't matter which we don't know if the results don't matter for AEW house shows because they have only done one previously um but I would imagine have we heard anything coming out of this well, as far as the results were there any major angles on this show. Not that I, I know. don't believe there were any. I can't. I, I have. I've seen the results. I don't believe there were any major like angles that you would need to see. Like that would maybe come back on television. Like things like Jeff Jarrett won. He beat Jeff um, Jarrett defeated Brian Pillman Jr. Brian, I see. He beat Brian P- Pillman Jr. Um, obviously Moxley uh, was in the main event. I just think I can um, confirm I would that Tony say, Khan came out for a quick promo thanking everyone. Yeah, I would say that WWE. I would say that thirty two hundred fans is a very good number. I would yeah. say that running close to a sell. I would say that running close to a sellout would imply that if we're going to play this game where we're very concerned about Tony Khan's checkbook and we're very concerned about AEW profitability, um, I would imagine that getting near a sellout would almost guarantee that. It made the company that the show was profitable, or at least in the black, or broke even. It would be really re- kind of bad business to run a show where you have a sellout, and that's not enough to get you in the black. So, if so, I can get to a gross of what did I just say? Uh, almost one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, are you factoring in that? Are you are you saying are you saying every ticket is twenty dollars with that estimate? I, I base that on an average ticket price of thirty five. Okay. Yeah, because my understanding is floor seats were like your designated seats, um, and then the twenty dollars general admission was for sitting, you know, in the the grandstand or whatever they have there. I mean, I, I'm not familiar with that building, but I can I've been familiar with buildings of similar size, and that's I feel like how they tend to operate for these kind of wrestling shows. I thought it was, you know, thirty two hundred fans for, you know, thirty two hundred fans would beat some of the dynamites that they've done. I think it's probably around the same as like the, that Laredo, Texas dynamite. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe in like one of their shows, like Miami and certainly the Jacksonville dynamites. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that they ran it in Troy, Ohio, which is not, I think anywhere not, close to a major, not war, far from where they area. just did a dynamite. Yeah. Correct. So it's an hour and 10 minutes from Cincinnati. Uh, but the Troy population is a little over 26,000. So 3,200 is 12% of the whole city's population, which is pretty yeah. substantial. And I think, I think it's, I think it's closer to Dayton, Ohio, which they were in like, you know, like probably six weeks ago or something like that. Um, yeah. February 1st, they did Dayton, Ohio, 4,700. Yeah. So, um, I would say that that so I'm, I think like for looking at the house shows, okay, this is the first house show. Does that draw? Does it does the appeal of like the first or I guess in the literal sense the second um, house show ever? Does that draw? Does that draw more because it's the first? I don't I don't know if that's really the case, um, but 
I would, I would, I, and with that being said, given the size of this venue and the size of the market that they're in, I would say that 3,200 seems like almost like the low end of what they could potentially draw. Um, they have a, another house show coming up that they've announced and it's in a much bigger market, a much bigger venue. So it'll be interesting to see. This is the Calgary show. The Saddle Dome. Yeah. 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 So do you think this was profitable, this show? I don't really care that it was profitable, but I would imagine that it was. Um, is there something to the idea that Tony Khan is running these? He doesn't care if they're profitable. He thinks that they have value in other places. And so that the, they, he like doesn't like, oh, we sold out and it's still not profitable. That's not a huge concern for him. I guess that's a possibility, but it's not like they drew half a house. Um, mm-hmm. So I would imagine it isn't. We don't know enough about, I don't, I don't Okay, I don't think this venue is particularly expensive to rent. I'm not sure how what the cost of talent there. How much did it cost to get certain talent there? How much did it cost to produce the show? Did they save a lot in production value because it was a house show as opposed to a dynamite taping, taping which I'm sure is much more expensive? Um, travel costs, I, I hotel a, costs. I think a dynamite taping costs them over half a million dollars to produce. Mm-hmm. how much cheaper was this because it was a house show? I don't know. I, I, I see they were filming it. <clears throat> I don't think based on the pictures, I don't think they had a huge stage or their normal dynamite stage. So the production I would not think was as expensive as usual. Um, Interesting enough. I saw they used the AEW dark, like, like entrance curtains and, and around the ring to the apron and stuff like that, which is, I thought they might have a custom thing for that, but they used AEW dark stuff. But considering that I, I believe pretty confidently that it costs them over half a million dollars to do a dynamite taping, I, I, I don't know that it costs them less than $150,000 to run this show. So I don't know that it would, would be I'm, – I'm not confident that this was profitable, and I would lean towards thinking that this did not make money. So I think that that's, that's probably it for AEW, right? Well, are there other benefits – to running house shows that offset the costs. Yes, but that, what? but but the, those are different types of investments. That is, is so. If, if you're, if we're under the assumption now that it didn't make money, um, why why would a company do this? Why would a company run a show where they sell out or come very close to a sellout and they are not making money off of it? Why would a company do that? Um, I guess the argument would be, and I and I wrote about this for WrestleNomics.com, which would be. You're making an investment in spreading your product to a new audience. You're making an investment in bringing the AEW live product. And by all accounts that I have heard, I've heard the show was very fun, that the crowd was into it. Um, People who were maybe not regular AEW viewers that went to the show, maybe they'll become regular AEW television viewers because they had such a good time at the show. That's how a lot of people... Um, foster their appreciation for pro wrestling is they go to a show that comes to their town and they enjoy it. Um, WWE doesn't make money off of live events. WWE has rarely made money off of live events and they certainly haven't made money off of house shows. Um, I think that's fair to say. At this point, again, they're probably losing based on how thin the margin is on, on operating income that we see in their public reporting. Right. And so, okay, so WWE does this, and WWE also runs a lot of their house show. They do not run their house shows in major markets, with a, a few exceptions here and there. But for the most part, WWE house shows are in 
Kalamazoo, Michigan, and, you know, Davenport, Iowa, and, you know, Fort Collins, Colorado, and like these smaller towns that are not going to get a dynamite or are not going to get a Raw or SmackDown, just like how Troy, Ohio is unlikely to get a dynamite or rampage taping. And so it also allows you to bring your product to more places than just the larger markets, which are always going to get your television because that's where you can maximize your profits. Yes. So I was thinking too about whether, whether AEW is profitable overall. Um, and I think 2020 was a different year for, for AEW financially. So in, in 2020, or just after 2020, Tony Khan made a comment to Forbes saying that if not for the video game investment that they had made that year, that AEW would have been profitable. And, but that was also the year where, and maybe that was 2021. In any case, in, in both 2020 and 2021, they were running a lot of shows um, in Jacksonville um, at, what's the name of the venue? Uh, Daly's Place. Daly's Place. Yeah. Daly's Place. <clears throat> which, which the Khan family owned, number one. And number two, they, they were doing a lot of tapings where they would tape multiple shows uh, in, in a sitting and there wasn't load in and load out and they weren't touring, which raises the cost by, by millions if you're doing that year round. So I think the, the bar for, and the expense for, for AEW to run year round touring now, as they did in 2022 is much higher. So the revenues in 2022 versus 2021 haven't raised dramatically. I, I believe, I believe they made, you know, something like $80 million in 2021 and something like a hundred million dollars in 2022. And I think Tony Khan made a comment to Bloomberg in 2022 or the, the, the article where he's like pasted onto the ultimate warrior's body. Uh, I think he, he made a comment to, to the effect that they made about a hundred million dollars in 2022. Um, but I don't think that the company's profitable in, in 2022. Um, and I don't think that they'll be profitable until they get a big upgrade in TV rights fees, assuming that they do. Um, just because the expense of touring year round is, is much higher than it was in the pandemic time where they were able to save a lot of expense. And we saw that in WWE's case too, where WWE was actually more profitable during the pandemic while they were running at the PC or the Thunderdome did raise expenses quite a bit. But uh, while they were running at the PC, they saved a lot of money. Um, so I don't think they're profitable yet. And maybe the, 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 the accomplishment of becoming profitable is very much tied to the degree to which they're able to get a raise in TV rights fees in the next round. Um, so we will move to, so AEW did announce this week that they are going to Canada, back to Canada to do forbidden door in Toronto on June 25th. And they're also going to do, uh, Hamilton, Dynamite Rampage, Edmonton, Dynamite Rampage, Saskatoon, Dynamite, Regina, Dyna, uh, Rampage, and the, uh, the Saddle Dome house show uh, during the Calgary Stampede cultural event. So we'll see how that goes. I will probably go to, to Forbidden Door in Toronto since I can probably get home two hours later uh, whenever, when, whenever the, uh, the press conference or the event ends. So that'll be interesting. Goal, you be going. Pencil me in, sorry. Pencil me in. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and to look at how some of the uh, the shows leading up to, to WrestleMania are doing, Stand and Deliver, 
which is actually in Pacific time at 9.45 a.m. at the Crypto Arena. Currently, 6,608 tickets are out for that event, for the NXT event, according to WrestleTix. And that is better than they did last year already, which did 4,366 with uh, the, the classic between Dolph Ziggler and Braun Breaker. So it's well ahead of that. Um, I don't know if this speaks to the to the NXT brand and that it's doing better. And we see that in, in ratings somewhat. They're, they're pretty much flat right now in terms of total viewership. But in the younger demos, they're doing much better uh, in ratings. NXT is now versus last year. Um, and then the Supercard of Honor event, 3,669 tickets distributed for their, their show on Friday at 4 p.m. So that's going to be what, what time? That's going to be 7 p.m. Eastern. They've got over 3,600 tickets out for that event for the Supercard of Honor, which is already way ahead of where Supercard of Honor was last year at the end uh, in Garland, Texas, at the Curtis Caldwell Center with just under 2,000 tickets distributed according to WrestleTix count. Um, according to, to Tony Khan in the media scrum, they did 2000. Um, so both of those shows doing better than they were in the year before, uh, WrestleMania itself. I don't know how last year tracked at this time, but they're at 56,000 and 57,000 out for Saturday and Sunday, uh, which is almost 10,000 behind where they ended up last year for Saturday and Sunday WrestleMania. Uh, with with sixty four and a half thousand and sixty five and a half thousand for day one and day two last year. So and that is, that is a, of almost a, that is that is as of a week ago, March twelfth. So I, I assume they're somewhat ahead of of these numbers now, but probably not way ahead of where these numbers are now. Um, so there's that. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we have a market to market comparison of WWE events. Over the last, this is since, I think, I think this is everything after Elimination Chamber. So showing that the house shows, house show last night, is that right? Is that what that was? Yeah. House show last night in Milwaukee was flat. Uh, Fargo, North Dakota, slightly down. Uh, but most of the rest of these are Once, are once you lose that Fargo market, it's pretty much, it's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we have, is this from Fargo in, in South Dakota? Fargo's in North Dakota. Oh it's my God, North Dakota! Yeah. You just you just you're you're going to run off the Fargo market now yeah. for us. Yes. Um, and South, you know, South Dakota is going to be mad about that too. <laughs> yeah, but for for the most part, a lot of these events, market to market, are are up for WWE. So Milwaukee flat, Fargo flat, Kansas City, Missouri, though with a SmackDown was way up. Providence, Rhode Island, with its Raw was way up from last time it did a, a Raw in Providence, New York. That means Madison Square Garden, which is different from from Brooklyn. Uh, New York, the house show that they did uh, on the 12th uh, was over 11,000, which is up from the the Q1 house show of last year, which had just under 9,000. Youngstown, Ohio was up. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with a smackdown on, on March 10th was up from the one that they did in December. Boston, Massachusetts, John Cena came in there and sold out the TD Garden, as we know. Trenton, New Jersey was way up for a house show. Kitchener was up for a house show. Toronto was slightly down for a house show. Syracuse was way up for a house show. Washington, D.C. did over 13,000 tickets out for SmackDown, which is better than the last two Raws they did by a wide margin. Grand Rapids, Michigan was up for uh, for a Raw compared to the SmackDown they did there previously in May. In enemy territory in Rockford, Illinois, 
house show was up. Champaign, Illinois, the house show was up. Uh, Evansville, Indiana, the SmackDown was up from the, the, the Raw and the SmackDown that they did there last. And the Ottawa Raw, uh, there isn't a great comparison for. Uh, but, but most of these are up. And I did uh, put, put, put Cody Rhodes logos next to the, the, the events that had the house shows that had Cody Rhodes. So the, the Milwaukee one that he was on is flat. But with that exception... The other one, two, three, four house shows that we have here on the board are up. Um, is in it because the, of Cody Rhodes? Toronto, I don't know. Well, I was going to say the Toronto house show that's down. Um, the comparison point is one of the house shows from the holiday tour right around Christmas and New Year's that um, is always like the best drawing house show tour of the year mm-hmm. for WWE. So I think in that regard, it kind of makes sense for them to be down, even though it is WrestleMania season. Uh, we do have because that's the, good- the, the the Toronto House show March twenty seventh, twenty twenty two. That did slightly better, also seven thousand seven hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, so are these all? These are all comparison points from the last like Raw or SmackDown that took place there. Like if it's a Raw, it's, same it's event. TV so TV. yes, same market, same okay. event. Okay. So even um, if it's a, a Raw, I'm not comparing the Raw to the SmackDown. It's only Raw to Raw, SmackDown right. to SmackDown, house show to house show. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you would say that who right now, from like, if we're just talking from like a star power perspective, like, um, obviously having like John Cena for the SmackDown show is good, but, um, or for the Raw in Boston, but they're pretty much firing on all cylinders when it comes to talent being available. I guess you could say Randy Orton not being around. Um, is key, but the fact that they've gotten Cody back, um, and they obviously have Sami Zayn working on the house shows. Seth Rollins is there. You know, Roman's not there that much, but the one house show that Roman be- Reigns did work, which was his first house show since September, was this Toronto house show where they did Sami Zayn versus Roman Reigns in the main event. Um, yeah. So, do you take do you take anything from that being down? I I can't. I can't. There, there isn't a story here where I can say, "Wow, they did th- they did this big match in the main event, and they and they popped it versus what they did there last time." I at least can't right. say that. I can't say that there's a positive story here, right? And if I remember, recall correctly, they added that pretty late in the process. Like it was like a few days before they. Announced, I think they announced Reigns being on the show like a couple weeks before, and then they announced that they were that he was going to be wrestling Sami Zayn. <clears throat> um, I believe it was for the title, probably right. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I mean, people, I think most people would understand what a house show is and that be unlikely for Sami Zayn to win the title. Okay. So does this, does this tell us anything or can we look at any other data further to, to discern whether WWE is making the right call or the wrong call as far as not putting the title on Sami Zayn or not, not doing Sami Zayn versus Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania. And for something else to look at, we look at Google Trends, and Cody Rhodes is slightly ahead over the last nine months or so. Uh, but but Sami Zayn's peak for a, you know around Elimination Chamber is higher than the Cody peak on this time course, which is around uh, Royal Rumble for him. I imagine we'll see a big peak for Cody, especially if he wins the title uh, at WrestleMania. Uh, but we can look to quarter hours too, where. This doesn't tell us something to, to differentiate the two, but but the Cody Rhodes live promo and angle with Sami Zayn did uh, pop the, the quarter for last week's SmackDown. So not this past Friday SmackDown, but the March 10th SmackDown. The demo grew 10% uh, quarter to quarter, and both 
uh, total viewership and the demo peaked for this closing segment from a week ago where there's a live promo and angle b- between the Usos and Cody Rhodes and Sami Zayn. Um, yeah. I, I think the primary concern I would have with not putting the title on Sami Zayn is not necessarily around like, oh, is Cody as big of a draw as Sami Zayn? But also the idea that you would you have this guy in Sami Zayn who's gotten really over, who's shown to have a real positive impact on business. The concern I would have would be by having him not win the title that you're going to cool him off as opposed to his like how he contrasts with Cody. Um, and I think he's still he's not cold yet. Like it's not like I, I don't know if he's as hot as he was like going to Elimination Chamber because that was pretty damn hot. But I don't get the sense that people have lost interest in him yet. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about where he's going to be in six months. But um, as of now, it doesn't seem to have like a massive negative impact on Sami Zayn's ability to draw an audience um, right now. And then from this past Monday's Raw, the quarter hour is showing that the peak quarter hour for Raw this past Monday, March 13th, was the Cody Rhodes Live promo. Uh, and there's also part of this, which would be a, a, a smaller part of this quarter, had the Seth Rollins, Baron Corbin, and the Miz backstage angle, plus an ad break. So we have, you know, we have an ad break to say that this wasn't a quarter with no ad breaks and Cody Rose live promo being the longest piece of this 15-minute segment. Uh, increased the audience 10%, increased the demo 17%. It was the, the high point, the high quarter of the show. So I have to think that, you know, we've seen a, a, a preponderance now of examples where Cody has increased the viewership or been the highest quarter or been the highest growth quarter. Um, and we do have almost in Brock Lesnar popping the, the, the demo 10% as well, but not as much as Cody love, popped the demo. And, and they'd love to use Cody at the top of the hour. That's something that they've really used a lot lately. And you can see why with the positive growth you see at the nine o'clock hour. Mm hmm. Yes. Um, so there's that. And then I have uh, some data for W Shop, where I've been collecting the, the W Shop top. Well, I've been collecting everything, all, all like there's like 1,000 positions. But anyway, if we, if we just isolate the top 10 every day since roughly September, uh, when I started tracking this, uh, the, the leading appearer in the top 10 is Roman Reigns, followed by Bray Wyatt, followed by John Cena across that entire time. But if you look at more recent time, and and Cody doesn't appear at all in September and October while he's out, but he is now number one and number two uh, in February and in March year to date. Uh, And Sami Zayn was number two in February in in the month that that Elimination Chamber happened. Um, So Cody, I would say, is... uh, you know, becoming a stronger merchandise seller if this data is is meaningful and a good impression of merchandise sales. And, and, and now, obviously, he came back in the Royal Rumble. I haven't been following this at all. I'm assuming he has new merchandise that maybe came out when he returned. Cody? Yeah. I, I, I would suspect so, yes. Right. And I think that would help, obviously. He comes back. He's got a new shirt. He's got new uh, whatever you want to buy from him. Uh that probably makes an impact. I, I'm imagining a new new Stone Cold merchandise drop uh, in March. Stone Cold is never not a merch draw. Stone Cold is always because like is he because he, he's ranked here across all months here. So right, I don't he's think, ranked high, but he's weirdly he jumps up to being number one in March. Yeah, I would imagine there's like a three maybe, maybe 316, there was a three sixteen yeah. deal. But yeah, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. 
but it's wow it's, that's it's, enough to swing that's enough to propel the number one like it's it's it's, it's march 16th I don't know. And, and it's March year to date. So yeah. we're not totally through the month. Maybe once we have some more non-316 time to mix in here, maybe he'll diminish below number one. Um, but it's just a stop. And, and NWO is another one that appears up here. Um, I think if we if we pulled this list down further, you'd, you'd find The Rock pretty soon. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can see that kind of like – like NWO and Austin stuff is kind of like almost like nineties culture is becoming much bigger. We had, we had a nineties convention in Boston this weekend, like just people reliving the nineties. And I, and I do think like getting like some retro stuff, like NWO stuff, I think that holds more appeal now than it did maybe like 10 years ago, or it wasn't quite retro yet. Um, Here's the, uh, here's the Cody merch. If you want to get some, some Cody American nightmare glassware, American uh, nightmare stainless steel water bottle. You can just house your entire kitchen uh, with with American Nightmare branding if you want. Um, I don't see anything that looks does, that new, d- but who knows? D- does Sami Zayn have this level of merchandise available? Can I get a Sami Zayn like glassware? Can I get Sami Zayn shorts? Let's can see. I get Sam- Sami Zayn socks? You can get Sami Zayn's. Uh, you can get Cody Rhodes n- Nightmare socks. I'm, I'm trying to click on on Sami Zayn. What's happening here? Um, is Sami Zayn? merchandised to the same degree as um as cody where is he here okay we'll just navigate you can get a the bloodline red hat okay but that's not Sami Zayn. now now how are they calculating that does all the bloodline stuff go to roman reigns does it go to all the members of the bloodline does solo sokoa get part of it the way that i'm um, doing it i, I th- i'm giving roman reigns credit for all the bloodline stuff i think is okay. how i'm doing it but do, can I get any, can I get my Sami Zayn merch? What is this? What is this logo here? The bloodline. I assume it's the bloodline. The bloodline. The bloodline. The bloodline. Reigns versus Zayn. Uh, so that's maybe counts as Sami Zayn. We have a Sami Zayn shirt. Right. We have uh, Island of Relevancy. Sami right, the honorary, Zayn, honorary Oose. Shirt. Oose. That is that's his. If it's got Sami Zayn's name in it, it's going to Sami Zayn. Okay. Um. We've got more bloodline yeah, stuff. Imagine seeing someone in public and they've got a shirt that says "Feeling Uzi" on that. I would if I saw, was walking down the street and I saw someone wearing a "Feeling Uzi" shirt, I'd turn around and walk the other way. Is this a Sammy's? No, this is acknowledge the bloodline sweater. Feeling Uzi, the bloodline. Yeah, it's so. Wow. It's, so, it's, so it's what I'm, the point I'm stuff. the point I'm raising here is um, bloodline socks. It's you kind, can get. It's kind. It's kind of remarkable that. Sammy's as good at, as high as he is in merchandise. Like Cody is number one. But Cody's got a lot more stuff you can get. You get uh-huh. Sammy's Zayn replica side plates for the for the world title that he'll never win. Um, <laughs> but it's but but that's but when we talk about merch sales, part of that only ninety nine dollars for those. By the way, Sammy doesn't have um, Sammy doesn't have nearly. It doesn't seem like he has nearly the volume of items. Uh, and if he had more, like he would be Rose. selling more. Or is it that he's only selling to a certain degree, so they're not producing all this additional merch merchandise items for him? I think historically we know how they've operated is they pick who they think are the biggest stars, and then they merchandise those people. Everyone knows the famous Mick Foley, Mark Henry story. Which is Steve what? Steve Austin. That uh, they were the Mick Foley was per, was uh, approached by like a merchandise guy in like 1996 and they were saying, here's all the merchandise we've got for you. Like you're going to have a shirt, you're going to have an action figure. And Foley saw the list and he saw like, 
um, who they also had penciled in as like, you're going to have all this stuff. And they had Mark Henry who had like just debuted. Like he signed up for everything. He's going to have a shirt. He's going to have an action figure. He's going to have a hat. He's going to have like all this stuff. And Foley said, Hey, why don't you have stuff for Steve Austin? I think he could sell a lot of this stuff. And then they were like, mm, no, no, this it's Mark Henry's going to get all this stuff, not Steve Austin. Um, and so obviously that was a long time ago, but I would also wager that mm, the same people making the decisions are still around. So I think part of this is a self, I think part of it is a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Um, it seems weird to me that Sami Zayn, so Sami Zayn, we know for a fact in February, right? Was he number one in February? Yes. So we know he was the number one merch seller in uh, February. Number two, number two. Oh, Cody was number one. Okay. So he was number, he was number two in February. Um, and we you know he was he was fourth in December. He was fifth in March. So he's like been a, a top five merch seller for since he kind of really took off with this bloodline thing. So it, it'd be hard to say that he's not a merch seller, and that he's probably worth um, a bigger investment. I mean, he's uh, he's outsold Roman Reigns in merchandise in every quarter, every month of 2023 so far, um, and Reigns especially if he gets the bloodline stuff, has a lot more merchandise than Sami Zayn. So I think it would be logical to say that Sami Zayn has the most, um, most merchandise, I guess. Um, or he, he should have more merchandise. He should, he should have. No, yes. he's sorry. He should have more merchandise because it seems like he's capable of selling the merchandise that he does have. And part of it is like, I bet you that honorary Oost shirt, even though I just made fun of it. Um, like, I'm sure that is a huge seller. And I think part of this is you hit on like a good shirt and you sell a lot of it as opposed to that's a huge, like in like things like the graphic design element of it matter a lot as opposed to just someone being really popular. You also have to have the right merch to sell that. Like and probably the, the angle NW, that they introduced like, it with, you know, right. And like the NWO merchandise, like the NWO shirt is kind of like an iconic shirt at this point. And it was as soon as it came out, you could say the same thing as the Austin 316 shirt. I'm sure those shirts are making up a bulk of what, have placed Steve Austin and the NWO as high as they have been, despite the fact that they're not contemporary acts. And um, like, I don't like, I'm trying to think of like, like, I guess Cody Rhodes has like the American nightmare shirt, but like, it's not like, I guess like, it seems like Sammy's shirt is more over and better than Cody's shirt. Even if Sammy is not necessarily pushed as hard as Cody. Yeah. So I'm going to try to even as popular. What are the Sammy Zane items that have, you know, been, been recognized in this table. Um, there is a Sami Zayn duct tape shirt. Um, yeah, it's a Sami Zayn duct tape shirt, honorary Oost t-shirt, and that's it. It's those two items. Um, those are where are making up for... That, those are the things that are appearing two. in the top 10. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the, like, Bray Wyatt, obviously, like, his whole calling card is that he sells a lot of merchandise. For, for Steve Austin, what what is appearing for Steve Austin? I'm just curious. The retro what shirt? Thank God we're still buying what shirts in 2023. <laughs> Austin 316, a Navy New York Yankees 316 shirt, Pittsburgh Pirates 316 shirt, Baltimore Orioles, Texas Rangers, Red Sox, Diamondbacks, Philadelphia Phillies, Mariners, Dodgers, Nationals, Tigers. So there's Cincinnati Reds. So apparently they they're they're licensing. I'm sure that that's part of the benefit of being on Fanatics or something is that yeah. they're they're licensing MLB shirts for people with stuff the casual fans remember, like a catchphrase from 25 years ago. Yes, we have uh, Steve Austin contenders 
sweatpants, full zip hoodie. I don't know. We could go on and on here. There's a few more, but okay. Um, there's a lot of Steve Austin merch. It's, it's amazing. Next episode, yeah. next episode, we're going to be wearing some WWE merch, all of us. Mm. And I don't, we'll have to put put that through the the Russellomics ethics committee <laughs> first uh, for for consideration. Um, but that's that's merch. I, I do have. We won't show it today, but I do have some of this information for. PWT's AEW shop too, and the acclaim for this at least this time period is just blowing everyone away. Um, we have a, a, an, an acclaimed uh, funny spot in a second here too. If we, oh, we'll just jump to it now. Why not? The acclaimed have uh, Max Caster and Anthony Bowens have registered for the trademark Scissor Fest. Um, I, I don't think this is breaking news, but but, but I did you know, find this in the USPTO office because we're going to talk about a different trademark in a second. But th- this is uh, a trademark that they're they're taking out for uh, goods and services, including meet and greets, uh, wrestling exhibitions, wrestling contests. So maybe they're they're thinking about doing a meet and greet called Super or called Scissor Fest. Um, let's see. But also, there's I think they're a, thinking a about what they're going to be doing in. Tw- I was. Say it again. I, I was going to say I think they're, I think they're thinking about what they might be doing in twenty years, Bowens yes. and Caster, and that they might understand that they've hit on something that people will remember. And when you're doing the autograph circuit after you retire, having your stuff trademarked is probably important. And there's probably somebody who's very close to uh, the acclaimed act who can speak from experience that having memorable catchphrases is probably important to have. And you should, having content trademarked around that stuff is probably important. Yes, and I'm, I'm almost positive Billy Gunn has done trademarks with um, Mike Dawkins as well, who's the the trademark mm-hmm. lawyer who many of these people are working with. Um, AW Collision is another trademark that was taken out was filed on February twentieth for goods and services including educational and entertainment services, namely a continuing program about wrestling accessible by, by radio. Looking forward to listening to it on radio, television, satellite, audio, video, computer networks. These, these are sort of general statements that are used in a, in a lot of different trademarks. But anyway, that sounds like it could be a TV show, AEW collision. Um, and Andrew Zarian, I believe, uh, reported on, on wrestling observer live that he's hearing that there may be a third, AEW weekly in-ring TV show uh, on Turner Networks. Uh, so if it was going to be, if there was going to be a Saturday show and if it was going to be on TNT or TBS, um, I think it's more likely that it would be on TNT just based on what TBS is able to deliver. If we look at what their schedules were showing for this past weekend or for, for TNT, I, I picked the week ahead because there's basketball, college, there's more college basketball on uh, this weekend on TNT, but there's movies uh, at six fifteen. They're they were playing, you know, replaying Thor, um, and on TBS they're playing. I, I don't think we could. I could even find a uh, a TBS Saturday lineup in this week or the next week that didn't have NCAA basketball on it. But I think they're just replaying, you know, movies at that time too. Um, and if we look at what TBS is is able to deliver for ratings on Saturday at 6 p.m. or so. So I've encompassed everything from 5.30 to 7.30. And this year, it, it looks like, you know, they've just been playing movies as far as the things. This is only the things that actually make the top 200. So this is the examples that we have here, which are in 2023 are only a few, only three out of what if, what's got to be something like 
10, 10 weeks or so, or about 10 weeks, something like that into maybe 11 weeks into, into 2023. And they deliver a 0.13, a 0.14, a 0.15. So something in that neighborhood. And that would be on the high end, you know, 0.13 to 0.15 on TBS compared to what TNT is able to deliver. It's reruns for movies have been, you know, we have no examples in 2023. The, the latest example that we have is July 2022, where it did manage to do a 0.15. So I'd imagine that this time slot on TNT is doing a lot less than 0.15. So the conclusion that I would make there is that the ratings are weaker on TNT in the time slot that people are speculating may be filled by a third uh, AEW program. So that then we do have some, some originals to look at here on both TBS and TNT. And we have something called some all, the All-Star Battle. I don't know what that is, but that did a 0.12 in February on TNT uh, starting at 6.30. Uh, we have Black History Marathon Creed 2 that did a 0.11 uh, on TBS starting at 6.45. And the USA Soccer Pregame Show did a 0.09 starting at 7 uh, in January. So I guess if, if I'm guessing which network this might appear on, TNT looks to be the network that could use the help more. Um, if we're looking at the movies in their rating, um, isn't that kind of difficult because the movies are extremely long when they're on cable? And at AW Collision, we're probably looking at, at best, a two-hour show, but probably more likely a one-hour show. Mm-hmm. So like a, like a 0.15 for a th- three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour movie on TBS. I think that rating is, would be probably better, perhaps, if it was only one hour. Um, so if they do shift to one hour of original programming. I mean, I don't know. The, 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 the movies that go in, into later towards prime time, maybe they're doing, maybe that's a better time slot. I don't know. Yeah. And that's why I kind of grabbed all of, all of this time range, even going back like to, to five thirty to say, you know, well, if it starts at five thirty, it's ending mm-hmm. like three hours later to just to get some general idea of what this time slot could possibly do. The uh, just real quick to that some all star battle that was a one off part of NBA All Star Weekend where it was like a competition between BB Rexa and Wiz Khalifa doing music so it was just a one off. Mm-hmm. Okay, and to think about like what what could a third AW program do in terms of a rating? Well, Rampage of late is doing anywhere between a point one zero. This Friday preemption did did do a point oh seven at seven o'clock. Uh, but it's but other than that, in its normal time slot at ten o'clock, it's doing a point one zero and as high as a point one five, in you know since uh, the end of last year. So could an, could a third AEW show deliver something in the neighborhood of what a movie does, which is appearing to do I don't know point one five point one three, and remember this is this is the high end, so it's probably on the average doing lower than this. Um, and then TNT, which I said is the one that I think is the is the area that needs more help. Nothing made the top 200 year to date for 2023, so it's doing something under what we see as the lowest number here, a 0.15. Um, so could it do a 0.12 or something like that? I'm sure for the first episode. We don't. I have no idea what Collision is, so it's hard for me to say. Like, is it going to be a live show? Is it going to be taped? Is it going to be in-ring? 
Is it going to be clips? Is it going to be highlights? Is it going to be video packages? Um, is it going to be just best of AEW content? Is it going to show like old pay-per-view matches? Um, I, so it's hard for me to tell, like predict what it's going to do. Um, I don't know. Do you think, do you think six o'clock on a Saturday is a better time slot than 10 o'clock on a Friday? I personally am more likely to watch it live at six o'clock on Friday than 10 o'clock on Friday. I'm much more likely to be home, uh, at that time frame. It's and it's a time frame that people are kind of used to watching sports at. Yeah. I, like I'm else. sure there's a definitive answer to that in terms of like wh- how many people are watching at six on Saturday versus ten mm-hmm. on Friday. I, d- I don't. It's not obvious to me what the answer is, but I'm sure there's a there's obviously an answer. Right, like um, with the movie reruns, like TBS and TNT, they seem to just be showing the same movie over and over and over again for the most yeah. part. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a rotation of six to eight movies that they show. Um, and so it, that almost seems like each showing of the movie is like enti- its rating would be entirely related to competition and how many people are watching TV at the time, as opposed to one movie being bigger than another movie. If, if, if it's showing Shazam every week at the same time slot, then it's, we're really talking about solely it's, it's val it's, it's, it's rating fluctuation. It seems to be totally related to, um, co- what competition, how many people are watching TV. And just from, from the network's perspective, it's not costing the network very much. And these are all movies that, that WBD owns. Yeah, guessing, Warner, right? Warner, yeah, especially Shazam, I know is. Well, yeah, I mean, Shazam is, but like like Thor Ragnarok. No, that isn't, isn't yeah. Um, so some of it is definitely licensed content. Um, I don't know how much it costs to get a, to, to, to get a movie to show on your uh, on your network. It's mostly very it's cheap, I guess. Like, that's a lot of networks go to that because it's cheap programming then syndicated and i wonder like with syndicated tv both when we talk about what what is tbs and tnt what are they showing that's not AEW and not live sports it's pretty much all syndicated television or it's movies and maybe in the long term one would assume that that stuff does not have the same viability as people become more and more when it comes to, to watching that kind of stuff people have shifted a lot to streaming that trend would probably only continue. So having more live programming uh, in the long run is valuable, even if it maybe doesn't match the rating you were getting from a syndicated thing right away. Um, I, I have questions so about, about this, though. Like, first off, like they're getting an, if they get another hour or so of AWTV and they could not get Ring of Honor on a Warner Network. That's 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 really interesting on Turner Network. Uh, but uh, also too, like, is this they're producing too much content on a weekly basis now? Like and that's a question to be asked too. If you're a if you're a content creator and your job is to review AEW shows and to follow them and recap them, I'm sure you're pulling your hair out at another one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I think. I don't. I don't think more content is 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 a negative in the sense that I don't know if burnout is a real like is burnout a real factor. Like, are fans going to become? so exhausted with having feeling like they have to keep up with dynamite and rampage and now collision that they will just be like, you know what? I, I can't commit to AEW anymore. I'm done. Yeah, um, as opposed to um, people like the way they've watched rampage, which is some people watch rampage and some people don't. And will, will they skip that to me? I don't know. I, I don't, I don't watch rampage every week, so I'm probably not going to watch collision every week either. Um, I think that, Maybe I also think it's beneficial to get your products in a different time slot to maybe get some 
different people watching your show. It's it's now Rampage is not like a super accessible show to watch live because of its time slot. I would say that this show is more likely to be like that is to be more accessible. So maybe you find different people that haven't had given had time to watch AEW yet, and then they start watching Collision, especially if it's like a clip show or a, or, or a recap show. Um, my least favorite thing about AEW Collision definitively is going to be the ratings discourse around it. Um, I think I, I wonder if AEW is getting set up to in, into a situation where when they renew and, and negotiate renewing rights, they're going to be you know WBD will be able to say you know when you started when we started this deal we were giving you two hours. And now we're giving you four weekly hours, not including all access, uh, which which maybe they continue to do seasons of. Um, and so we'll pay you, we'll pay you, you know, commensurate with the the doubling of hours that we've given you, but we're not going to pay you commensurate. You know, we're not going to increase your rate per hour for for the the TV rights that we're going to pay you. But do we think, well, do we know Collision is going to be a weekly show? That's another fact. Collision could be like all access mm-hmm. where it's okay. it has a limited run. We we yeah. just, we don't know anything about it. I think Zarian kind of hinted at, I think, it being like similar to like a Rampage. Um, but we we don't know. So it, it does that, add up with, with comments that, that Tony made at the last mm-hmm. press conference where he said, I think there's, he said something to the effect that I think there's opportunity for more AW content on, on WBD networks. I find the approach to this being a negative, like, like the general disposition people seem to approach this topic as being a negative for AEW very concerning. Like, it seems like all the discourse around AEW getting a third show, which would seem to just, would really to me just be an affirmation that Warner Brothers Discovery is very invested in AEW. But it seems like our entire everyone's entire discussion about it is it's going to be too much. They've got too much wrestling now. Tony's going to be overworked. You know, people aren't are going to get burned out because there's too much of it. What's you know how are they going to do well in the ratings? Like this is like great news if you're an AEW fan, and it's a, a sign of strength for AEW as a company. And I find the entire discussion being centered around how this is bad for AEW like kind of alarming in like just what it says about the culture around how people discuss AEW. Um, I, th- I think it's, uh, it's it, on, on one hand, it's definitely a, they wouldn't be, uh, WBD wouldn't be putting more hours of AEW on their networks if they were feeling like they're not going to renew or not bid aggressively for, for AEW in the next round. They clearly value AEW programming on their network. Mm-hmm. And as Gullah pointed out, it's strange that ring of honor couldn't get that hour because mm-hmm. that would kind of be the best of both worlds. You get more wrestling, but it's not necessarily like AEW, so people don't feel like they have to watch it all, so maybe you don't have the same kind of potential burnout concerns. But I think what this tells us is that Warner Bros. Discovery values the AEW brand's name. They don't just mm-hmm. want wrestling. They just don't want – they don't want Ring of Honor wrestling. Even if it features a lot of the AEW stars, um, they want you know they want AEW All Elite Wrestling collision on mm-hmm. their show i think that says something about the aw brand name value at this point to warner brothers discovery yeah um okay and i think we're down to one more topic that i have prepared anyway and that's we just have an, an update on mlw viewership um 
which did over the last two weeks. These are two new weeks to report here that haven't been reported yet. Uh, March 7th, first run did 47,000 viewers. Second run did 53,000 viewers. So uh, there, and there was a replay that did um, another 21 and another 8,000 viewers. So those, that totals to 68,000, 61,000. Um, so this is, uh, we're kind of getting an idea of what the average is for MLW Underground on reels which may or may not be a 10-week deal. Uh, we are now one, two, three, four, five, six weeks into what may or may not be a 10-week deal. And it's doing, at least in the first run, and, and by the way, Impact and New Japan also have a replay that I just don't know the data for. Um, so we can, if we're going to think about it in, in comparison to Impact or New Japan, which New Japan has the same time slot, um, the same same time on Thursday, uh, it's... It's good to, th it's right to think about it in, in terms of the first run only in comparison to New Japan or Impact. But anyway, about 50,000 viewers is what, what it's done over the last three weeks. And it did do more than that in the three weeks before that. It did somewhere between 73,000 and 97,000. So that's where MLW is. And anything else to add before we go to any super oh, chats? If there are yeah. Any? I have a question. Oh, a Sorry. prepared question? Don't go I have a I have a discussion point that oh, hopefully will will not take up an enormous amount of time, but I wanted well, to. Well, we have plenty of time, so that's fine. <laughs> I don't want to get into the the what constitutes a dream match discourse directly because I think that's dumb. But I want to talk about Tony Tony Khan's role as a promoter, and Tony Khan is very active in promoting AEW. Um, both on social media and in regular media forms and doing interviews and things like that. And I wanted to ask you guys, like, what do you think Tony Khan's responsibility is to be like, um, I don't want to say truthful, but like realistic in how he promotes his shows? Um, because on one hand, Tony is a promoter and he is advertising his show. And he is inherently going to exaggerate um, the anticipation for some things that are happening on AEW. He is going to try to make everything seem as big and as possible and as must-see as, as you can. But on the other hand, there seems to be a, a level of standard that people expect um, for him to be, like I guess, like honest uh, and realistic with expectations. And I'm not sure how I feel about about that. Like, um, you can say, like, we can talk about, like, he mentioned that Vikingo versus Kenny Omega is a dream match, which it is to some people. And um, there's, like, all this discourse around, like, is it a... You know, I don't even want to talk about the dream match stuff. I don't want to bring it up because it's a dumb talking point. So, so scrap that. <laughs> um, I almost fell into the trap, but... We shouldn't yeah. be talking about the dream match discourse because it's led by people that don't know what they're talking about, and it—that's one of the problems with AEW discourse—is it sucks. It, we it all could get be a sucked dream match this. if there were a, a video package involved. That's yeah, we all get sucked into this this thing that that is shouldn't be a real talking point. But like Tony Khan in general is very active in the promotion of of AEW, and like he's a promoter, he's going to be hyping things up and making things seem as exciting as possible. Tony Khan's Twitter account is going to be conducted kind of like the same way like WWE's official Twitter account is going to be when it comes to talking about, you're not going to want to miss SmackDown tonight. You know, Sami Zayn takes on Solo Sokoa, like in, in one of the most anticipated matchups of the year. Like it's, 
the as a fan, you should kind of take it at face value that obviously this is the person trying to sell you something, so they're gonna hype it up more. But I feel like Tony, because he's I don't know, it's because he's an actual person and he's not just a brand. Um, he's held to kind of a certain standard of like Tony's got to be really honest and straight with the fans, otherwise they don't tr- they won't trust him. And I think there's a fine line you need to have when you're in that kind of position where you're a promoter and you have to, you're going to always exaggerate the quality of your own show because that's the business. Um, but at the same time, you also have to avoid, um, you know, under delivering on what you're promoting. And I think AEW for the most part has lived up to the expectations that are set by Tony, but I think it's an interesting, I think something, it's an interesting aspect of the business that I, I kind of noticed more this week in the sense that you have to find that balance and how important do you think it is for, does Tony have a responsibility to be uh, as like uh, truthful and honest with the excitement around his product as a more like non-associated entity? Would would you say that because he's so truthful and honest about other things and he's forefront of information that people want in all, and I, and I bring it up because I was going to bring something up after this point, what you blend it in is the whole exchange him and Meltzer had on Friday about the cost that is covered for AEW talent with, with, with Dave's yeah. uh, hacked account. Yeah. Yes. Oh well, yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and, and 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 Tony, you know, Tony corrected and came out and said, "No, we cover you, everything." You, you know, he was saving that in the drafts for six days. <laughs> like I'm going to tweet this on Friday. <laughs> but yeah, I saw that and I'm like, well, Tony's very forefront on information, different than what we get like from WWE. So maybe people, they hold him to a different standard for sure. You're right on with that, Jesse. They want him to be honest. I, I think, yeah, I think he's, he's cultivated that image for himself, which is like, we're not going to be the carny fake wrestling promotion. That's going to lie about attendance and is going to uh, be emailing the, uh, the um, city of uh, San Antonio uh, department to make sure that there's not actually 1200 people working and, and not 750 people working. So we can lie about the attendance higher being higher than it really is. Like he's cultivated this image of like integrity in a way that maybe WWE hasn't. And part of that is because people are so dismissive of WWE being like this carny company that they are in- inherently more critical about Tony's maybe under delivering than WWE where people, everyone just accepts it because it's WWE and that's what they've done. I think in, in AEW's case, it's it's about Tony, and there isn't mm-hmm. there. It, Paul Levesque isn't going on Twitter and personally promoting these things in in the way that I mean he's he's tweeting things also and retweeting things, but he's not making right. it a personal thing. I think for Tony, Tony times- especially, this is AEW is about him proving himself as as a business executive who's not just the son of a billionaire. I suspect that is and, very much influencing his and, actions. And, and Tony is all kind of large, like like on, in a lot of ways, like Tony himself is the largest promotional wing of AEW as a company. Tony Khan does way more media than Triple H does. He does way more, you know, podcasts and radio show appearances. He does a lot of interviews in, in print as well. Like Tony himself is the the personal spokesperson for AEW. Triple H does a little bit of that and he's done more of it, I think, lately. Um but and Tony Triple H doesn't has, reply to people on Twitter and quote tweet right, them and interact with Right. Them. It's a different Tony has a much more personal hands on 
promotional aspect to him the way that Triple H or, or, or certainly Vince had. It was all – in WWE, it's the company. In Tony Khan – in AEW, it's Tony Khan in a lot of yeah. ways. His personal um, brand is very much associated with all elite wrestling in a way that not even Vince – I would say Vince's brand is associated with WWE. Yeah. And I think that's important to kind of keep in mind. And I just – I think it's – it's it's a, it's a kind of – it's very interesting because Tony him Tony doesn't – he's always said like he doesn't want to be an on-screen character. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be Vince McMahon coming out to no chance in hell and being the evil authority figure. He's very adamant about that. And I'm thankful for that because the last thing wrestling needs is another heel authority figure. Um, but at the same time, Tony has very, has like in, in a shoot sense has become a character for AEW and has become a very prominent figure to the fan base in, in a, in, in a lot of ways. Um, so even though he's not an on-screen character, his personality and his decisions and his image have a massive impact on AEW as a company and the perception of AEW as a company. Um, I, I think in terms of like the, the, the question that you're asking is like, I think you're asking is, is he overhyping stuff and does that matter? Right. Right. I, does Tony, did, does, if Tony, un, if Tony, if Tony overhypes something and it doesn't deliver, um, does that damage his credibility to people? And because he's such a key promotional figure within AEW, does that inherently damage AEW? Um, to a degree, there's I, something, say, I say yes. There's, some, there's something about the personal approach that Tony has in regards to promotion that makes um, under-delivering a, a, a bigger problem than WWE just being like WWE's you know corporate brand under delivering people yeah. that doesn't say it's almost like WWE gets away with like, I think a lot of stuff because like it's presented as a, in a lot, in some ways as a faceless entity that makes these decisions and makes these negative, negative things that happen. Now it's the company or it's, it's the faceless brand of writers or it's the person backstage, like in a way that like Tony Khan bears every single ounce of responsibility within AEW, no matter what they do. Um, in kind of a way that WWE doesn't because WWE's brand takes a bulk of a lot of criticism as opposed to an individual. Obviously Vince has taken a lot of criticism. Triple H has taken less so, but still will get criticized for certain things. But Tony is really like everything. Oh, the house shows were bad that aren't doing as well as we wanted, or there might be a bad idea. That's on Tony. Oh, this, this, these people, you know, got in a fight backstage and it blew up. Oh, that's on Tony. Oh, this creative decision didn't work out that well. Oh, that's on Tony. Oh, this match came apart. Oh, that's on Tony. Everything that AEW does comes back to Tony in a way that everything that WWE does doesn't go back to a central figure, even though it really should have with Vince. It seemed like a lot of the criticism would be levied at just WWE as entity or like WWE blew it or WWE didn't do this as opposed to it's much more personal. Tony is it has anything to do with the fact that Tony has put it out there that he is the booker and writer of all these shows. There is no committee. There is no staff of writers. It's him. So that's, he almost make magnifies that. Yes. And, and realistically, Tony is the owner and Tony is responsible for all of the things that happen at AEW. So it's not even mis. I don't even think it's like misplaced criticism. Um, but it's much more public in a way that I think doesn't exist at WWE. And I think that, I think your point, Gullo, is, is spot on in the sense that, yeah, like it's Tony doesn't have a booker. Tony doesn't have like a, a figurehead president or someone like that 
to take decisions. It's, it's, it, it's presented as him making all these decisions. So, um, that's where people turn to. I, I think you, th- th- this matters to my eye and I don't think everybody sees, everybody definitely doesn't see it this way, but I think other people do see it to, this way to an extent. And maybe that trickles down into affecting the audience overall and that he uses the word I a lot when he's talking about AEW. So he's not talking about the company mm-hmm. did this or AEW is doing that. I did this. I did that. And I think there's this, and like I said earlier, I think there's a, a desire from him to want to show everyone that this is his thing, that he is the booker, that he is the promoter, that he is the one doing things. And I think that makes him a more divisive figure because of that. Um, and in terms of him over hyping things, I, I mean, I, I don't accept that wrestling promoters need to need to exaggerate and hype things. I, th- I think that if at least personally, and, and from my point of view as a viewer, an audience member, I think you earn a lot more trust by under promising and over delivering so that I, it's really easy for me to believe you if you're, if you're, if you're not trying to oversell or if you don't sell me more than, than you can actually deliver. Um, and I think there's a number of, of, of ways and everything from his promoting of events to, to what he's talked about in terms of business where I have to say, okay, I got to run this through the Tony Khan filter and say, well, he's, he's overhyping this. Mm-hmm. But isn't there just being a consumer of product, being someone who has seen thousands and thousands of advertisements in their career, in their lives, which everyone listening to this podcast has, don't you just approach it? Like you, like, don't you understand that this is the person, this person has a direct financial tie in making this product seem as good as possible. Um, to me, it doesn't really register. Like I understand, I totally understand what you're saying from a promoters should really be, it'd be better off if promoters were very honest. And so people trusted what they had to say. So when they did say something is big, fans really felt like it was going to be big because they have that trust and they've earned it. But at the same time, like, like, like if Tony tweets out, this is going to be a huge episode of dynamite. Um, every episode I'm just is like, huge. He says that every week. Right. So what is it? Right. What is it has no meaning. It has no differentiation. Right. But he's just an advertisement for the show. Like that's what he should, should be doing. Like he should like, I don't to, think to, that to me he, as, as a, as a reader of those words, if you right. say that every week, you're saying nothing then. Right. Right. So he should, you, you're, you're the belief that he should be a little bit more, judicious in how he doles out the the, the anticipation i think aw would be benefited a great deal if if aw is less about tony and more about the brand mm-hmm. in general right no i think that's a fair point yeah um and that's like i, I guess when, when i'm doing stuff for wrestlenomics here i i'm i i try to be really conscious about like overhyping especially when we're talking about information like our business yeah. is re- relaying information and analysis to people and Maybe our credibility matters a lot more than a wrestling company's does. So I, I try to like not overhype stuff and to not overpromise things. And if anything, sometimes I I know I'm going to be able to report something by a certain date, and I will tell people it, it may happen sometime after that. Even though I'm pretty confident I'm going to be able to do it days earlier than that, so that at least you know I'm underpromising and overdelivering. Hopefully. You gotta, you're not going to tweet out, we've got huge news coming later. Today. Huge news. Yeah. Big, Big scoop. Big update. 
Yeah. Breaking Gold, news. Gold tells me to do I that all the time uh, offline, and I'm like, I don't know. Are you sure? Yeah. Um, anything else? Bit more? Because uh, we have we have time we'll, here. I mean, we have a super chat question. We do have that. Uh, so we'll ask this here. Uh, Louis Ducati goes first off. Jesse's pod was great this week. Give you a little credit there, Jesse. And then uh, he goes, "What's the percentage of uh, Punk coming back?" Well, thank you for the compliments. Louis you got a new graphic too. My why, 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 why don't you plug it now? Podcast is is this Teddy Roosevelt? Sure. Yeah, well, you... I was gonna, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna do that, Brandon. I was gonna plug it. I didn't Sorry. need you coaching me from behind to tell me to do that. But um, so we have a new logo that was designed by Jeremy Sexton. Um, oh. who did a great job. He's took a long, he spent a long time working on it. It looks great. I'm really proud of the, uh, the work that he's done for it. Um, it's not, I don't think it, it's not Teddy Roosevelt. It's loosely based off of like the New Yorker, um, oh, okay. cartoon character, um, who like is based off of like basically like a, a, a gilded age, well-to-do gentleman, I guess. Um, but the episode he's talking about was uh, I had Trevor Dame on and we talked about kind of like seven months removed from CM Punk's presser and backstage fight after All Out and kind of discussed like what kind of impact that's had on AEW. Um, how has it impacted the perception of AEW as a company? Obviously, as we've discussed most weeks here, you know, the, a lot of the business metrics in CM Punk's exit from AEW have been down. And so obviously that played a role in it. And then we also talked about whether or not he's going to come back and what are some scenarios in play that would, would, would mean for him to come back to AEW. If I were to put a percentage chance on it, I'm going to say 50%. I think it'd be, it, there's a lot of logical reasons why he should come back to AEW and they should be willing to work with each other. Um, but CM Punk is also somebody that walked out of WWE and spent almost 10 years not wrestling. So I, I can't put it any higher than 50%, but yeah, I would I, say that that's, I, I started, started to write on my, on my post-it note here, right before you said 50%, 49%. So yes. Yeah. I, I, that, that's a, I agree. I think it's 50, 50. It's, it's, it's tough to say because he, you could see him having a more, more occasional and distant role and that in, in terms of, you know, not, not, uh, you know, not they're not being more problems in the locker room like apparently there were at least on one occasion when he was there um just maybe having him there less would help with that and but yeah i think there is a um a really good point that trevor made which was that um if if he doesn't come back and if they never were he never like works an on-screen program with the elite this will become like kind of like their version of Montreal where like Bret Hart got asked by gets asked about Montreal every day of his life since it happened. And this will always be something that kind of hangs over CM Punk and the elite for the rest of their lives or the rest of their public careers. Um, Definitely for Punk, he doesn't have more matches. Yeah. I mean, I I said, it's like, I don't, I don't know what Punk's, psyche really is and he, he maybe doesn't care at all about this but if i was cm punk i would be sitting at home recovering from my injury and i would be thinking like man is it is this really how i want to go out again is this i do i want my career to be my last you know moment in my career to be this and uh, and i would say no well i'll just say at the end of that jesse there is that big that big six-man tag match that is on the table and i think like right you turn this 
you turn it into an angle and then all of that stuff, the, then Trevor made this point, like you turn that into an angle and all of that stuff, the, the press conference and the fight, all of that just becomes pro wrestling. All that just becomes pro wrestling, you know, nonsense. It's not to be taken nearly as seriously. Um, the same way like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart's backstage fight kind of ended up becoming part of pro wrestling lore. But like, you turn into an angle and people were, and I'm sure that they, like a big six man's tag or a big singles match versus Kenny, I'm sure that would do excellent business for AEW. Um, and then you, you would, you would have taken this, 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 this black mark on your careers and turned it into uh, a, a real highlight and a hot program and, you know, 200,000 pay-per-view buyers or whatever you would do with it. Yeah. I think, I think like if you had his first match, back being on pay-per-view and it's something surrounding the elite, something surrounding the bucks and, and, and Kenny, I think that would do a really strong pay-per-view uh, sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would also help like the perception of AEW as like, you know, I think the perception of AEW took a big hit with punk leaving because it was uh, just a, a huge showcase of, you know, Tony Khan not having the kind of command over the locker room that he probably needed to have, not having control over the company, you know, wrestlers taking shots at one another, unprofessionalism, that kind of aspect, all things that were real negative perceptions for AEW that can all be kind of rectified if you can get all these people to work together to get on the same page and to deliver a program and a match that fans really want to see. It would totally change, I think, the perception hit that AEW took since Punk's exit. Um by showing that we can all work together and we can be professionals and we can deliver and, and, and do something that the fans are really going to get excited about as opposed to what has been since that happened, which is disappointment because CM Punk was a big star and he's no longer really doing anything with AEW. And, and that I would say is less likely than 50% that those parties will work together, that they will trust each other enough to have a pro wrestling match and pro wrestling angles with each other. And that's the other thing is like, say Punk comes back, but he doesn't work with the elite. Right. That's going to be weird. People are going to be chanting at him, you know, <laughs> them when they're not. Like, seriously, they, they almost ha- – like, I think they almost have to. Like, CM Punk can't come out and he can't feud with, 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 with MJF or Chris Jericho. Like, he, he, he has to – has, you have to do that now if he comes back. Uh, that I is think. the optimal – Otherwise, yeah, immediately is the optimal, optimal time to do it. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard to, to get – like, he's, he's going to get asked questions about it again and, and, and like – that has to be taken. I think that has to be buried quickly if, if, if he is going to come back to AW. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do we have, I think we have at least one, one yes. other one. Right? Yep. Uh, so, uh, Nick NP, uh, I feel TK is way too online when he uses Twitter. We kind of alluded to that a little bit. Uh, maybe too much information being put out there or too much promoting. You can, uh, I think we have, if, if I have to attribute, was it Andrew Rich who said that you can take the, the, the poster, what is what is the was the expression? You know where I'm going with this. You can take the the man out of the message board. You can't take the message board out of the man. Um, I think many 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 people in wrestling would be better off if they were on Twitter less. This world might be many. better off if <laughs> many if yeah the world was on Twitter less. Yeah. Yes. Um, is that all we have today for, uh, for the for the week? Yeah, I believe so. I'm I'm doing another scan can- here. I do not. Can, can I just throw us way off track and can we go back to the can't Canadian announcement? Mm-hmm. Um, what would you, what, how, but what do you, what would you say is a, um, 
an expectation for Forbidden Door from an attendance perspective. Um, they sold out the United Center very quickly last year. Or they, they, they didn't technically sell it out because they put more tickets on sale that didn't sell. But they sold all the available tickets originally set up for the United Center. Um, so they're going to Toronto. They have been in Toronto once before, right. um, which they sold very quickly in a smaller building. Um, they two shows in Toronto. They did a Dynamite yeah. and a Rampage. AEW is not as uh, hot as they were as the same time as Forbidden Door last year. Um, but Forbidden Door was also kind of a, a show that maybe people weren't 100% sure what it was going to be like last year and ended up talking about over-delivering. Um, Forbidden Door last year was a very well-received show. Um, Certainly versus the expectations so of fans I, going into that show. Yeah. And so we're talking... They're running a big. They're not running the Coca Cola Coliseum, which so they're they're running the big building in Toronto. Mm-hmm. They're running where the where the Raptors play. So they could sell probably thirteen or fourteen thousand tickets if they can get that demand. Yeah. Do you expect them to be? How do you expect that they they didn't sell nearly that number for Revolution in San Francisco? Right. Um, Revolution. Do you have any expectation about not quite sellouts? I believe certainly Revolution was not. Where was full? Where was full? Was in Newark. Here? I was there. It was in okay. uh, Prudential Center. It was pretty full, though. Um, like, Rampage. What was, was, the, what was the number of full gear? Uh, yeah. That was 11. That was November. Um, yeah. It was 12,106 is what WrestleTix had. Okay. So that, that's pretty close. That to to, so that's not a sellout. He had that's the capacity not a sellout. at 12,708. So it's like 600 short of a of yeah. but, but configuration. I, I would say that's that's a very strong number for that building. Um, so and revolution did 8,912 and capacity configuration, how it was configured 10,696. So that's but they why, could have been, they could have definitely done bigger. I mean, basically what I think of is if yeah. you're in an MBA building at the Shea center, yeah. If you're in an MBA building, there, there really, there really is really not that tremendous variety in size between MBA buildings. Yeah. But if you're in an MBA building, with appropriate staging, what is considered standard for stages and things like mm-hmm. that now, thirteen to 14,000 is a sellout, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, I would say, like, I think Dave set the number, like, if they do b- bigger than 8,000, he would consider that successful um, for Forbidden Door. I think they I should be able really... to do 13,000 here. Yeah, so you think that they should be able to do that? They, should, they should be pretty close to a sellout because, they, yes, they have been to Toronto before, but not for a pay-per-view and not for – and doesn't um, – I think Forbidden Door is a bigger draw than Revolution or Full Gear is as a brand. I think us. you'll get more – you almost get more fly-ins because of the, the the hardcore New Japan fans that are dispersed around the country um, that maybe would be interested in flying to the show as opposed to Revolution, which is just a regular AEW pay-per-view. Um so plans made like that. Now, how sizable is that population? Probably not huge, but if it's an extra one or 2,000 people um, across the entire the country and maybe some people from overseas making the trip as well, that's that, that's enough from a live attendance perspective. I mean, D- Dave saying 8,000 was – I mean, they did they did 7,300 for a show in Winnipeg this week. So I wouldn't be – I would imagine they could do 8,000 for a pay-per-view in Toronto. Um, but this Canadian tour – they are really going after 
the Canadian market with this show, with this tour. They're hitting, they're not doing Vancouver, which is kind of interesting. Right. And they're not, they're not doing Montreal, which is also kind of interesting. Yes, Quebec but they are doing, is another. Yeah, Quebec City. And uh, they're not doing Ottawa either, right? No. Yeah, this is, yeah, this so is all sort they, of like middle Canada, right? Yeah. Except so for Toronto. Well, they're doing uh, Hamilton. They call, them, they, they call them the Canadian prairies, Brandon. Um, okay. But, you know, Regina, um, Saskatoon, Saskatoon, Edmonton, Calgary. Yes. Interesting that Calgary is the biggest city that they're doing, and they're not doing a Dynamite or Rampage. They're doing the house show in the largest city. That's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, WWE did tremendous business running the same area of Canada, I believe like last fall. Um, and I thought WWE did a great job being like kind of since touring kind of returned from the pandemic, hitting those markets first with, with tapings for Raw and SmackDown. I thought it was a, a miss by AEW to not get there sooner. Um, perhaps there were issues that prevented that from happening, but, uh, I think it's, you know, AEW really the story of AEW touring in 2023 is that they have, they are, hitting every new market that they haven't gotten to yet. Yes. Yes. In, in they, the new year, uh, we talked there's, about there's this. almost no market to market comparisons that I can even make except for the English yeah. show. And we talked about this a lot towards the end of 2022 about, you know, are they running Pittsburgh too much? Are they running Boston? Are they running Philadelphia? Are they running Chicago too much? And this, this year they have really expanded their touring. And for all of the, you know, a lot of the metrics for AEW are trending downwards, but one of them that they seem to be doing pretty good for Q1 at least is attendance because they're in so many of these new markets and they're doing things like they did 7,300 people for a dynamite on Wednesday, which is a very, very healthy number for them. Um, still, still waiting for the UK debut, which I think is promised in 2023. And I'm guessing yeah. that the delay to get into Canada and, and, and as well to get into the UK is, is around visa-related things that I yeah, imagine that, and you, you can't just go to this country and fly your people in there and have them work. There's probably a lot of you know visa paperwork that needs to get done. Yeah, and that's a that's a uh, a key thing as well. And I, I think. Um, It'll be interesting to see. Not only, obviously, they're doing well in these new markets. For the most part, there have been some misses. I think the El Paso and Laredo shows were disappointing. But I think shows in places, even places where tickets started a little slow, like Sacramento, tickets were a little bit slow at first, but then they really picked up. Um, I think that that is, you know, they ended up doing solid numbers. And their tour in the Pacific Northwest, Seattle and Portland was very good. I think San Francisco was weird because they hit it three times in one week. Um but they're 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 really spreading out, and in in will be interesting to see if diversifying and not going to the same places as frequently allows them to draw bigger when they do return to places like Philadelphia and Boston and Chicago, um, because they wouldn't have haven't have been there that recently. Um, yeah, I think there and, was concern and, too about going to the West Coast and having a show start at five p.m local time on a weekday right. when people maybe still be at work or just getting out of work, which I, I, I don't completely understand because it's not a, a hurdle for WWE apparently. Um, yeah. And so, and, and we're really, we're, they really checked off. They, they finally announced the San Diego show, which mm-hmm. had kind of stood out as like the one really big market that they hadn't been in yet. And now I can't even think moving for that. It's, it's slow. It's slow, a slow start for the San Diego shows, but yeah. we've seen 
like I said, like I just said with Sacramento, we've seen the the buying habits shift a little bit from like instantly everyone buying tickets um, quickly. They're becoming much more gradual with their ticket sales, which is kind of similar to what we see with WWE. Um, WWE sells more tickets, but the WWE pace is is has become AEW's ticket selling pace, which is they're doing a little bit more in the last few weeks than they were before. Um, and, and so they're becoming more WWE-like in the way that they sell tickets, which makes sense as a more established brand. As, a, as the brand becomes more established, they begin to mimic the patterns of the more established brand. So the Saddledome tickets have already gone on sale. I don't think Russell okay. Ticks has, has reported on that, but it is in the spreadsheet. And um, it's also it's also, from that press release, it seems to be tied into some sort of you know the stampede yeah festival so are what is that a bot show by any chance like what is the uh well wwe that, did that years ago the calgary stampede that was like at the end of the pay-per-view. Fe- the pay-per-view at the end of like the rodeo festival yeah so i think it's just capitalizing on right. the large population of canadians that come into town for that mm-hmm. it's so strange to me that that show is a is not a dynamite or, or a rampage and yet you're going to saskatoon which is a much smaller market and you're running a live event and you're running a, a taping there maybe that's just the they're, way the they're scheduling in regina works. the night before for rampage and they're yeah. in saskatoon on the wednesday before yeah right so it, the, i mean i would look at calgary which is the biggest city on the canadian prairies and be like that would be where i would want to run and, and also calgary is just a tremendously significant wrestling city um so uh that would be a that, 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 no, I would like to know what would, uh, what their, why the decision would yeah. be for that. I would say that they they should have that on TV, especially if they could do the Owen Hart tournament concluded on that or something like that too, and I think that would be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that's a great idea, Gullo, because it's around the same time yeah. period, I think, right? Like, uh, you know, where they would typically do the Owen. Um, I mean, you could do that in Edmonton or or, or one of the you know the other markets, but it makes it, it makes a ton of sense to do to do something related to that in Calgary. Um, and I, and I think as John, yeah. we have already pointed out, this is a, a huge opportunity to have Bruce Hart on the show. Mm-hmm. It's um, so like so if we look at markets AEW hasn't been in, the ones that stand out are Vancouver in uh, Montreal, which mm-hmm. of course Montreal is a tremendous wrestling city, as we saw at Elimination Chamber. Um, you know, Ottawa, Quebec City, those would be. But in America, I'm trying to think like, have they been to Oklahoma City yet? No, no. That's the one in my head that stands out as far as like a, a city that, you know, is big and has a professional sports team in it, you know, a major sports yeah. team in it. Yeah. Um, that seems to be, but outside get, get of that, JR doing local media with JK. Yeah. They've never been to Virginia beach, but they've been to other and that's a growing area though. To. That little, yeah. I'm just thinking about like cities ranked by us population and where they haven't been yet. And those would be, the two that stand out, they haven't been to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, but we're getting much smaller than like this discussion six months ago where we're like, they haven't been to Phoenix. They haven't been to San Diego. They haven't been to the Bay area. They've really covered their bases there with shows. And now they're filling in with different ones. Have, have they been to Omaha, Nebraska? I can't recall, but um, as far as internationally, right? The UK tour, it is happening. We've heard them discuss it. Do you think Japan and Australia are possibilities? I would say Mexico, but I know like ticket sales in Mexico might not be worth it profitability wise. But would I mean Japan and Australia seem like they would be strong? Maybe at least just a house show, if not, you know, a dynamite. Australia historically, Australia is wrestling starved, and you can go there if you're a big wrestling company. You can go there and draw very well. 
is that cost effective? I don't know. The big thing is because they don't have a robust touring schedule uh, of house shows the way like WWE does. Like WWE can go to Europe and they can run shows in Paris and Switzerland and Germany and presumably make money off of those um, because their international brand is very strong. And they also kind of have house shows and, and the infrastructure is kind of set up there. I don't know if you could, if AEW went to Australia and ran a bunch of shows, if that would be profitable for them. I would, I would, I would slide against that. If they were to run a, a taping in Australia, um, I think maybe that may, you would probably draw a really big audience. Again, is that cost effective to fly everyone down to Australia? I don't know. Um, you, selfishly, you TV, I would, I think, you know, yeah, selfishly, I would love it. Yeah. Selfishly, I would love it if they went to Japan and they went to Sumo Hall and, or, 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 you know, Budokan Hall and they, they did a joint promotion show in Japan and they could, they could tape a dynamite in Japan and they could show it later that day. Like, I think that would be a very cool thing that would really diversify dynamite from a week to week basis, which would be like, okay, they're doing this different kind of show similar to how they did the, you know, the cruise show where it was just like, they, it was a show that was different that you wouldn't normally see. And I think you could even get away with maybe doing a joint promotion show in Mexico city. Who knows what their relationship is like with, with triple a or um, one of the major Mexican companies. Uh, they certainly possess AW certainly possesses the talent at their disposal to draw well in Mexico. I think they have Roosh. They have the Lucha brothers. Um, they have people like Kenny Omega who have been pushed in Mexico. They have, they have some to like Vikingo. Right. Do they have access to Vikingo in Mexico? Who knows? But uh, they have, they have legitimate drawing cards in Mexico. Um, so I would imagine they could draw in Mexico, whether or not it makes sense from a TV perspective to put it there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would wonder if they would do Europe. Like if they're going to go to London, is it feasible to go to Paris? Is it feasible to go to Germany? Is it feasible to go to maybe some other venues in Europe? And obviously it helps from an international perspective if you are, um, you know, if you have live events there, it helps your brand for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And WWE has done very well recently in places like Paris. Um, and they're kind of those, some, and a lot of those places are wrestling starved, especially coming out of the pandemic. Okay. Remember when WWE was really big in Italy? Is this like the 2000s yeah. when they were they had really strong yeah. international? They, they did title changes there. They had a very, yeah, wow. they had a very good like TV slot in Italy, and like I think like SmackDown was on in Italy in like um, the mid 2000s, and like Rey Mysterio and Dave Bautista were like huge stars in Italy, and it was kind of like one of those things that kind of faded away. But I do think about like if AEW could get some sort of television deal internationally there, it could be a real boon to business if they were to really establish themselves in a, in a, in a European the, country that on might TV be in Italy, the, I think in, on sky. Yeah. But I, I'm thinking like a, like a really like, like a prime time network slot, which I think is what they were in when, when SmackDown got really over there. It was kind of like a, a small place in time kind of thing, but it has like, I think international growth, international television and international growth is obviously a huge place where AEW can probably see a lot of room for improvement just because the market to capitalize on it is there. I mean, WWE does a very good, has done a very good job at that. And obviously they've had a massive head start as a brand, but that's something that I think I would keep an eye on over the next year or so as far as potential growth for AEW that maybe we don't see 
here in the U.S. if we're just looking at, you know, American-based metrics. Yeah. And they obviously have TV. They have strong TV in the U.K. on ITV. Um, they have TV in France mm-hmm. and Germany. Um, they have less strong TV with, through DAZN, through other parts of, of Eastern Europe, like Poland and whatnot. Anything else? I believe let nope. me just do one more scan, but I think that is I think that's all we have, yes. Mm-hmm. Saskatoon is all elite. Yes. Thank you, Rangar. Say Saskatoon, who would forget the Ric Flair Bret Hart match from Saskatoon? Hey, go go that's Rough Riders. But Bret Hart won the title. Yeah. He won the title for his uh first uh he won his first world title in Saskatoon. Okay. Um, there's still, if you haven't read it, there's the report I did. We talked about this already on Thursday about the, the Royal Rumble report. I did it for the public records requests that we made to the city of San Antonio, showing how they came to their 51,338 announced attendance. Um, the gate being three, uh, $7.3 million in net revenue to WWE, uh, looking like the announced gate of 7.7 million was including service fees. Uh, that is for free for everybody to read on WrestleLogs.com. Uh, any other plugs? Um, no, I already got my. Uh, I already got my uh, gentleman's wrestling podcast any, plug in. I did appear. Oh, oh. I did appear on Josh Nason's Punch Out over on um, Figure Four Wrestling Wrestling Observer News uh, dot com this week. Uh, I had on a show. It's free. That's free to listen to for anybody. Um, just over on the Observer site. Uh, we talked about. Uh, we talked a lot about Wardlow. We talked about kind of what's happened to him over the last year or so. We talked a lot about uh, like QT Marshall and his Twitter interactions and kind of social media use in general when it comes to being in professional wrestling. Uh, we talked about WWE production and kind of you know AW production versus WWE production and those kind of aspects. So people can check that out if they want. I was that I think went up on Tuesday. And Gullo. Oh, it's just uh, on high spots with the Savoldi Wrestling Network. Uh, they should be uploading a couple matches that they commentary for Jim Duggan and Bubba Ray Dudley from like 1990. I think it's late 93 or early 94 uh, from ICC. Would you say that's a dream match? <laughs> you know what? It, it it was for those fans, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> and uh, speaking of dream matches, uh, there was a DX Headbangers match from IWA Puerto Rico that I did commentary for that should be up uh, loaded as well. Uh, Brandon, uh, it was seven minutes and 30 seconds long. Uh, they locked up four minutes in a total of three bumps. <laughs> Outstanding. This is in Puerto Rico. Yes. Said, yeah? yes. Okay. Okay. We'll be back next week for the week before WrestleMania. And then we'll be doing WrestleMania the week after that, the, after the first day. So, all right. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.